Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, co-hosting with Sarah Whitmeyer, WFIU's News Bureau Chief. Today we're talking about local events uh, like festivals and the fact that they've been getting canceled or changed because of the pandemic. And we have uh, four guests with us. Aaron Predmore is the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce President and CEO. Judy Epp is the Spencer Pride Fundraising Director. Diana Choate is Monroe County Fall Festival President. And Elaine Beadle is the Indiana Destination and Development Corporation Secretary and CEO. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, and you can also send us questions to the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. We're all doing the show remotely, of course. This is the 31st time we've done this show remotely, 31st week in a row. And I have to say, I'm sitting here looking out of my studio, uh, also known as bedroom uh, window, and I see blue sky and beautiful leaves and it's the perfect Indiana time for fall festivals. So I think this is an appropriate show to have today. And I want to turn first, we want to sort of start with a more of a macro level and go to Elaine Beadle and ask about, um, you know, the the fact that we are in, in uh, stage five now. Are there some festivals that are starting to ramp up? And, and what's this whole year meant for you know people coming to indiana well thank you bob thank you for having me uh join you today it's it's quite an honor to be on your program and uh just to kind of look at the macro level you're, you're correct we have had um an awful lot of festivals that have felt that because of safety for their volunteers any employees as well as all their visitors that they really can't hold uh, their festival um, as they would have in previous years, even the ones that have been outside. So it's it's disappointing because as again, pointing out the beauty that we have here in Indiana, particularly in the fall, to not be able to have people come together and enjoy uh, the festivals that it is, um, is heartbreaking. And, you know, there's such a big imp impact on communities. Uh, it's really part of the quality of life of some of our uh, smaller communities around town where, you know, the whole the whole town, the whole little city turns out for a festival and really looks forward to that every year. Um, so that's just kind of the psychological impact, but obviously there's a financial impact as well. When we um, have to cancel any type of an event, a festival or other organized event, uh, there are people who aren't providing their services that normally would. So when you really think about a festival and you've got anyone who's providing food or providing games, providing any of the other activities that are part of the festival, you know, they're probably little small businesses that kind of make their living doing those types of things. Uh, but that doesn't even include the, the tents you're not renting or the, the cleanup crew afterwards who gets paid. So there's a, there's a big economic impact just in not having it. And then obviously when it attracts visitors, be they residents of Indiana from that community or from around the state or visitors from outside the state, they tend to spend money in the community. Uh, so, you know, again, the restaurants and the hotels that maybe they would have utilized uh, had the festival been continuing. So it, it is a big loss. And, uh, you know, I don't know too many of them that are trying to continue this year. Obviously, if they are, they're going to have to do it with a very different look to it and really reducing perhaps the number who can attend uh, because of that. Um, uh, but I think people are looking forward to next year and still planning ahead and thinking that, you know, they're going to move forward positively and, and look to, uh, if they canceled this year, getting back into providing that festival or that, that gala, that organization would, uh, would normally do next year. Elaine, I think I read uh, somewhere this morning that there are 600 festivals and all, of, and when you count up all 92 Indiana counties, does that sound right? 
That sounds right. Yes, exactly. Okay. Wow. So it's a, it's a pretty widespread issue. Yeah. And Indiana's it, one of those states that does an awful lot of festivals. And again, to your point, it's beautiful here in the fall. So it's a great time to do it. So I want to bring in Aaron Predmore and continue with a little broader view of this. So Aaron's with the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, president and CEO. Monroe County has a ton of festivals, it seems like, that go on you know, in the spring, in the summer, in the fall. So what kind of economic impact are, are you expecting from this? Yeah, well, I would say, Bob, that the I mean, millions of dollars um, come into our community every year uh, with those kind of, you know, one-time events, whether it's the Monroe County Fall Festival. We have visitors that come from, you know, surrounding counties to come over for the day and, and like you pointed out, enjoy the beautiful weather and the parades and, and all the different things they can see. Um, we've, you know, it's the same thing with football, you know, IU football season being initially canceled and there was a lot of work done around that to try to get a grasp of the um, economic impact of, of a lost weekend of football. Um, so now that it's coming back, but we're not going to have fans. I mean, you know, it's kind of that um, we're just not really sure what's going to happen there, but, but I can tell you that the economic impact locally is, um, is pretty significant. It's in the millions of dollars every time we don't have one of those events. Um, and, and it really does impact our, our service industry businesses are, you know, our hotels and our restaurants, and it trickles down because for all the money that we spend there, um, those individuals and employees go and, you know, go to the, the retail shop next door and buy something, you know, to be able to, you know, a, a t-shirt or something. And then that person's able to make more money to do something else with. So it really is uh, an economic driver that, that we're missing right now in our community. It's, it's really a quality of life thing too, isn't it? Oh, it, it definitely is. I was talking to someone the other day about, just missing each other. Um, and I know even just, you know, for our listeners, right. When we joined this, you know, call, I was on video and, uh, you said to me, Oh, it's nice to see you. And I told you, you had to return the favor and turn your camera on too. Right. So we just miss seeing each other. Um, there's a, there's a shared experiences as a community. There's the memories that you make every year when you go to the same event and people, people have it. They, they plan their entire lives around some of these things, whether, you know, Taste of Bloomington is a great example that that had to pivot this last year. Um, you know, it's a it's a huge deal for our restaurants and people really do enjoy that event. And so shifting it to a takeout menu and trying to, you know, bring in other people and expand it. And, and it, it was just a very different experience. So like you said, it, it there is a quality of life aspect to it that we are missing right now. Well, Diana, you're you've said that you've been the uh, president of the Monroe County Fall Festival now for seven years. And that's, that is a really big festival. And what you've done, you've had a really big job. So can you talk a a little bit just about the festival? You know, I know we're, we're missing out this year, but the history of the festival and what all you've had and and how how it's, uh, you know, how long it takes to plan that every year. Well, I want to thank you, Bob, for inviting me to be on this today, because yes, the canceling of the Monroe County Fall Festival was a big decision. Um, I consulted with the uh, officials of the town of Ellettsville because the town itself is a big supporter of the festival and without their help and support, it just wouldn't be possible. Um, The town allows the street department to help us with much of the setup and uh, uh, it basically takes almost a year. We normally um, uh, elect new officers in October, and I myself, having done this for several years, I have a certain uh, schedule that I start by, like in January, getting the tents rented and the uh, golf carts rented and uh, making sure that all the committees are, are filled Um, We try to get our sponsorship letters sent out um, because we do provide all of our entertainment for free um, because we do want to continue this as Morris Enright started it um, as a family-oriented festival. And so we want to make it um, affordable for everyone. Um, Obviously, food trucks, you know, you pay for the food, but at least, um, you know, families could come and and participate in the entertainment and things and be just a fun time to get together. Um, Our festival is always the third weekend in September. And um, so uh, a lot of class reunions from 
the area gather and uh, they find it an opportunity to, like she was, Aaron was saying, see each other and get uh, reacquainted after years of um, graduations years ago um, uh, without the local sponsors. Uh, the festival wouldn't be possible. Uh, in years past, Monroe County truly participated in the support of the festival and uh, the MCCSC always let their uh, students come over for our education day that we always have on Friday. Um, that's kind of slid by the wayside. So we're trying to work more towards trying to get Monroe County interested in being a part of our Monroe County Fall Festival. Um, someone suggested, well, let's just change the name to Ellisville Fall Festival. And I said, no, Morris Enright, he was the one that I mentored under and helping with the festival. It was always Monroe County Fall Festival, and I feel it needs to say that way. We just need to get more Monroe County volunteers and more, and more Monroe County sponsors. So, yeah, it has been a, a big impact. My concern, of course, with not having it one year is that, you know, you might lose your sponsors, but I'm hoping that they'll realize we didn't want to ask them for money. We knew they were strapped just like we were as far, um, as, far as safety and, and uh, concerns of the people of the community if we tried to have the festival. So, Diana, I want to ask you and Judy, if your planning starts so early in the year, are you already out some money for things that you may have booked for the festival that then um, didn't get to happen in its usual capacity anyway? Well, I can't, I canceled all of our tents and things like that, that we, um, you know, had, I had reserved because you have to reserve them early. Like you said, there's lots of festivals and um, if you don't get your, um, at least get your name in that you want them for the certain date, um, you run a risk of the things you need not being available. We were out, um, of course, insurance, we continued to have to um, pay insurance. And so, um, Fortunately, we've been fortunate enough to have a little bit of a reserve, so we were able to, um, you know, cover those expenses. But uh, yeah, it, it is, it's difficult. <laughs> How about you, Judy and Spencer? Well, um, we were out some money, but um, actually it's more of a lack of income than that we put out money that we lost we uh, reserved the Tivoli Theater and we're actually, we postponed our Pride Week to this week. And so we just moved the date because the theater also had to close for some time. And now they're open at a limited capacity. So we're actually using the reservation that we had with them this Saturday and we're holding a limited seating in-person event um, but we own our own uh, canopies and tables and chairs. And so we provide those, we don't use them, but we provide those to our vendors, uh, the first 50 vendors. And then we have our own building. So the festival is on the square in Spencer where we have our storefront. Uh, so for us, it's more of a lack of income because we didn't have the people coming into the retail space um, we didn't, um, we weren't able to go actually to other festivals because we go to other festivals and we take some of our retail items and we make a lot of money that way. And so by other festivals having to cancel, that cost us money as well because we couldn't go there and sell things um, to make money. So if you want to join us talking about festivals in Indiana today, you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, and you can also send questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. I might mention uh, our producer has sent me a, quite a list of things that have been canceled. So if you are missing the Bloomington Craft Beer Festival, the IU Little 500, Harrisburg Heritage Days, 
Bloomington Early Music Festival, Limestone Comedy Festival, Arts Fair on the Square, Bloomington Blues and Boogie Woogie Piano Festival, Indiana Toy and Comic Expo, B-Town Jazz Fest, 4th Street Festival of the Arts and Crafts, Garlic Fest, Community Arts, Art Fair, Steinsville, Stone Quarry Festival. And that's just, that's a list, and I'm sure it's not an exhaustive list. list. So to um, both... Aaron and uh, Elaine's points. I mean, these are th these are big losses for communities throughout the state of Indiana. So, wanted to uh, to ask Elaine to talk about that a little bit. I mean, there are these festivals all over the state. What are some of them that people may not have even may not have ever heard of? Well, there's some very large ones around, like the Covered Bridge Festival and the. Um, the um, festival that goes down in Evansville, and there's some large ones in Fort Wayne. They're all over the state. There, there's large festivals, and then there's there's hundreds of small festivals. You know, every small community many times has some kind of a festival uh, to raise money, and that's the other point. You know, sometimes these festivals are there to to raise funds for another organization that they're supporting, be it the local fire department or or be it at a, a charitable organization, an arts organization. And that's why the festival is in there to raise funding. And obviously um, that wasn't there this year. And so there's that, it's, a, it's just a trickle down effect. You know, it's a bigger economic impact than many, a lot of us, uh, many times a lot of us have thought about. One of the things that was mentioned, some of the expenses that, that were incurred uh, when things got canceled, uh, hopefully, um, those everyone that happened, um, Diane and Judy as well, were able to make application for a grant from our arts, culture, and destination marketing organization grant that was uh, funded with with about ten million dollars of CARES Act funding. Now it's 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 all done, but one of the things that uh, we were helping, particularly with festivals, was would have been any of their cost incurred because they had to cancel uh, and to replace some of those funds in their coffers. So uh, hopefully they were able to take advantage of that. I know we did have several around the state who were able to, and and it helps a little bit, but again, if it was a, it, it's money a lot of times that they needed to raise even to help next year's festival take place. So uh, a big impact. Sarah? You mentioned the Covered Bridge Festival there, and I just wonder about communities and places that really are built around a festival. Is there a worry at all that come next year, are they still going to be there without these big festivals? Well, that was one of the reasons why we did the grant was to make sure that the funding could be there so they wouldn't be necessarily out any money this year and that whatever funds they were planning on spending, they could just divert until next year. So that was that was the exact thinking that we had, that we wanted to make sure that these festivals could come back in a safer environment and and um, and allow the communities to enjoy them again. Uh, some, some organizations have really tried to pivot and maybe they didn't go away fully. They tried to do something virtually, you know, within your own home, celebrate the festival by, you know, doing some virtual game or something like that, that would just at least keep their interest and let people know that they're still there. Um, and trying to do something and maybe even a little fundraising along those lines as well for their organization. You know, on the uh, topic of fundraising, I mean, I just, just thinking back to, you know, what, what good Hoosier hasn't had, you know, fish from some fish fry at a, at a festival event, or, you know, there, there's usually some kind of food at a festival event that everybody is just dying to have. So I, I wanted to ask uh, about the Monroe County Fall Festival. Are there, uh, who, who was making money or who, what charitable um, organizations were able to make a little money off of that festival? Well, uh, we have food vendors and one of the uh, food vendors is one of the local churches and they usually um, have some kind of a, uh, like one year it was hurricane uh, victims that, you know, had had needed to restore their homes and things. And so all of their profit was going to go towards those. And so um, those kind of things, you know, we missed out on this year. Um, we also, uh, have an area where we have uh, games and we offer those to 
all the school groups as a, a fundraiser um, and we don't charge them, but anything that they make during the festival will go towards, you know, like um, the ball team does it and things for their equipment. And so they missed out on any of that funds for this year. Um, and like um, Sarah was saying, we, we also, I mean, it was Judy, I think it was, was talking about um, getting funds to get started for next year. And so um, in order for the festival to happen next year, we're going to have to get going and get some fundraising going and some sponsorships. Um, I did try to notify everyone as soon as possible because like for the food vendors, um, you know, they're food trucks and they haven't been allowed to be places anyway, but I didn't want them to lose out on an opportunity if there was some place they could go that um, if they normally came to our festival, they at least had a chance to make some income somewhere else. Judy, you've had some virtual events um, this week with your festival, haven't you? Yes, we do. We've um, tried to come up with a combination of limited in-person and virtual events. We had, um, and actually, I'm going to back up just a little bit, in between from the time the pandemic hit to now, we we have quarterly volunteer events to keep, because we're a totally volunteer-run organization. So we try to keep the volunteers engaged always. And of course we have our center that needs volunteers to run it. So we have done things like a virtual uh, bingo and that was surprisingly well attended and even more surprisingly fun. So um, things like that um, seem to work well. Um, <clears throat> but this week we did on Tuesday, I think it was, we did a virtual event for our youth group and um, we had a doctor, and I apologize, I don't remember her name. I'm not intimately involved with the youth group. Um, <clears throat> but she spoke, and several of the youth and their parents and some other adults attended. Uh, they could come in person if they chose. Um, we have a large enough meeting room that people can come in and be socially distanced and wear masks. So we had, a, um, I think, a couple people that came in person and then others that were um, online. And then um, we're having um, a dance party, a virtual dance party, um, Friday night. That's happening. And then um, yesterday we did a dine and donate event, which is where a restaurant will donate a portion of the sales to a nonprofit. And the Civilian Brewing Company in Spencer is a huge supporter of ours, as are many businesses there. But yesterday we did that. So we promote to everybody that follows us to go there and eat. And then they, at this year, they were very generous. They donated 20% of sales to us. So it helps them, it helps us. And we know that they have outdoor seating they do carry out, they will bring the food to your car if you don't even want to go in and pick it up. So we knew that was a very safe um, thing to recommend to people. And then Saturday, uh, we're holding a fundraiser and that is at the Tivoli and the limit there is 100 people. Um, we haven't sold 100 tickets because people are still afraid, but we're having, um, uh, 20 minute drag show with one performer and she will be on stage. So she's not near other people. And then um, we're showing a documentary of the history of the AIDS quilt. Um, and between the drag show and the documentary, we have two speakers that will talk about their personal experiences. So the drag show is in person only. The speakers will be live streamed on Facebook, and then the documentary will only be shown to the people in the theater. So we're trying to do some things that will still engage people, 
but that people can feel safe um, participating in. And our retail space is back open. We op reopened whenever we were allowed to, but we're only open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And again, masks are required. We have all the protocols in place with sanitizer and plastic shields and everything. Uh, but this week, for Pride Week, we're open every day this week. <laughs> but then after Pride Week is over, we'll go back to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, we also, to help the vendors that weren't able to come, we have a virtual marketplace. So any vendor that has an online presence, we've linked them to our website. So, and the Pride activities in the website. So people could theoretically shop there online um, to the vendors. And we've, we didn't lose our sponsors. The sponsors had already paid. And so we were able to offer them other perks instead of the in-person things that we, that we would have, all the virtual events, we advertised them. But there's a huge hit to the Spencer community. Our town has 2,000 people, but our festival last year drew 5,000 people. That's an incredible boost to the economy of Spencer and the surrounding area. So it's, it's for many of the merchants in Spencer, it's their biggest day of the year financially. Yeah, and she got a question um, about Pride specifically. Just be, the question is that it's an event to help a vulnerable community feel more connected. And do you feel that you've been able to do that this do that this week as many of the events have been virtual? Well, we're sure trying. Uh, not as much as we could have with the festival because the festival allows people anonymity because there are so many people. You can just show up and mill around and we have materials that are passive that people can just take if they don't want to talk to somebody. We have people that, that are available to talk. So um, not nearly as we would have been, but at least by doing the things that we feel like we can do safely um, by being open and all week long, so anybody can walk in uh, to Unity and talk or pick up the materials. The youth group event, uh, we feel like it's, it's so, we feel like it's so difficult for the youth right now because many of them, we feel like are trapped in an unhealthy, unwelcoming environment. And so even if you have a Zoom meeting, if they're stuck at home with a family that isn't supportive, they can't join that Zoom meeting. And they can't leave and say, I'm going to the park or I'm going to someplace else and show up at the meeting. So we're trying to do what we can to, to help. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was the a good that was that was a great question and it, you know it goes back to the whole idea of how these festivals build various communities uh something you said judy reminded me of um something i wanted to ask aaron to expand on a little bit and that's the the intersection of businesses and um these nonprofits the which include the festivals and the groups that benefit from the festivals you you talked about how uh, civilian brewing had stepped stepped up and and is doing stuff for for your festival. Aaron, um, could you just talk about that intersection of business and nonprofits and and how that's been affected by COVID? Uh, certainly, Bob. So one, I, I was actually talking to one of our members, um, I guess earlier this week, about some of that support that goes around. So we have, a, you know, these small small businesses that are maybe just two or three employees um, that really do support the nonprofits in the community and provide a lot of that, whether it's a, it's a support for a fundraiser or, a, you know, a gift basket, or um, in this situation, they needed some um, things sewn. And so they went to tailored fit and were able to 
get some things done for free and they were happy to help them out. They had the resources and the skills to be able to do it. Um, but you, that's, that story just repeats constantly, you know, kind of as a safety net for all of our nonprofits are these local businesses that are willing to chip in and, and give, um, you know, gift cards or things like that to add that they can raffle off or, or just help them um, without any cost. So when you add that together and you've got those nonprofits with their organizational needs and their fundraising needs, um, the small businesses do, if you have a big festival or a big event, um, I mean, obviously the hope is that the small business will not only help the nonprofit, but then also maybe get some more customers and things like that in their doors. And so it's a reciprocal type of relationship that can be really beneficial. Um, and then again, I know when, when things get canceled, then you, you just stop that reciprocity and things kind of get, um, get jammed up a little bit. Um, we, we have seen our nonprofits locally though, shift to a virtual fundraising model where they've done a lot of their galas or those sort of things where they've still been able to partner with local restaurants, especially to provide meals and things like that. So even though you may not be able to go to the location and do it, you're able to pick up a special dinner and and still be eating, quote, eating (laughs) uh, with your friends and and people from around the community to support a nonprofit. Yeah, it's just, uh, there's just a big ripple effect that occurs, it seems to me. Mm -hmm. So um, I wanted to ask Elaine, you know, we, we have, we're so close to Brown County here and you know, we don't have anybody on the show from Nashville today, but just people forgetting about festivals for a minute, just people who want to come to Southern Indiana to look at the leaves or during the summer, people that wanted to go to different lakes and different regions um, in the state to take part in outdoor activities. Um, you know, how has COVID affected, you know, these tourism destinations? Good question. And, you know, it, 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 it depends on the destination. Um, when you think about everyone wanted to do outdoor activities uh, because that was where you were, you, were, you were safer than being indoors somewhere. So the Indiana State Parks, which is one of the best state park systems in the country, and you have Brown County State Park right down there, um, were just busy, busy, busy. And, and as far as attendance, record-breaking years because people just wanted to take their families, go out, hike, ride bikes, just enjoy the outdoors every way that they could. And so uh, outdoor venues tended to do really well. I mean, even from the camping, you know, people, again, I can take my camper. I'm not, you know, I I just, again, have my family with me. I feel safe doing that. And so they were booked solid um, most times on their campgrounds as well. So if you were an outdoor activity like that, you tended to be almost too busy in some cases. Now take take an, uh, something though like Holiday World and Splashing Safari, also down in Southern Indiana, you know, they had to deal with all kinds of health issues. So totally different, you know, it wasn't, they had to be careful about people coming in and, and time um, minimizing the number of people who could come in. I don't think they even opened up their water park uh, portion of that entity. So they really had a much reduced um, opportunity to have the public come in than they normally would have. So so they're the million visitors that normally come in to them and also provide benefit to all of those entities around them um, obviously didn't happen this year as well. But when you look at um, other venues, like even some of the retail shops, people were just afraid to go out and, and go indoors in some of those, those um, retail shops that are so popular that people love to come down to Nashville and do those kinds of things. And they just were hesitant to do that. Now, I think the retailers kind of adapted to that and say, hey, uh, I'm gonna do all these protocols. And uh, as did the hotels and the restaurants to say, it's safe to come in. Who's your hospitality promise was really focused on helping to educate the public and all the good things that um, venues were doing, be it a retail store or a restaurant or a hotel again to to make sure their employees as well as their guests were in a safe and healthy environment. Uh, and, and hopefully people started getting a little more comfortable with that. But I know it was mentioned several times is just for many people, uh, there's a fear and, and we don't want people to go out if they really are in that uh, vulnerable group or they feel they can't be, be safe. We don't want them to take the risk either. So it's really a, a tough situation. So it's um, that's where the impact is. But again, outdoor, Activities seem to do well. The restaurants 
that could have outdoor seating uh, and who could maybe change their their serving practices to again be a very safe and safe environment, clean environment, healthy environment. They tend to be, do well um, as well. When you think of the um, Hoover Winery down in Southern Indiana, as well as um, Hard Hard um, Hard Truth Hills down in the Bloomington area, I think they did very well because they had a lot of outdoor space where people could walk around, sit individually, yet have the benefits of, of what they were serving in their restaurants and in their winery and their breweries and things like that. Yeah, I think if there's, oh, if there's, well, I'm just gonna say if there's one silver lining to what we've all been going through is the creative thinking of how can we do this in an alternative way. Um, and, you know, Judy mentioned many things that they have been doing virtually. You know, an example of that too would be Heartland Film Festival. It's going on right now. Um, and, you know, all of these new films that were being debuted to a big audience through multiple theaters was the traditional way of doing it. Well, they can't do that this year. So what they're doing is all the films are online. You still, in essence, buy a ticket to watch it, you know, for, and you've got access to it over a period of time. So they've adapted. And then they, they you do have the opportunity to go to two drive-in movie theaters. Well, Connor Prairie has turned a parking lot into a drive-in movie theater, and then the uh, Tibbs drive-in theater are also showing the film. So if you want to get outside and enjoy it that way. So they've really done some um, creative thinking here as many organizations have with whatever they're doing. And what we might learn is that that opens up to an even bigger audience than you could have had. If people don't have to physically attend to enjoy something like that, maybe next year, the hybrid uh, way of doing things is a better way. You can still have in-person, but then you can bring in those people who are miles and miles away who would like to enjoy it, but can only do it, um, can do it virtually then and have that opportunity. So, you know, hopefully we can, we can um, be as creative as possible now, but then learn from this as we move into the future as to what we might be able to do to even expand our exposure. Elaine, I wanted to follow up really quickly and ask if you have any data on the gaming industry. How has this affected uh, that as a tourism draw? Well, when you think of gaming being um, even sports betting and that type of a thing, obviously it came back quickly once we were able to play sports. Uh, but you know that's been limited too. So any, in essence, tax revenue from that type of, of gaming uh, has been down, but Again, it, it, that's all based on how many sports can be played, et cetera. Uh, when you think about the casinos around the state, I think, again, the ones who have taken all the extra steps to have a, a safe, healthy environment for employees as well as guests. And I know French Lick um, did a great job with their casino, and they really are seeing um, maybe not quite the same volume as in the past, but very close to it because, again, uh, you have to wear a mask. Uh, they've got plexiglass up. They've done all kinds of things to be able to, again, make sure the environment is something that visitors feel comfortable coming in and that employees can work in as well. So I think, you know, many of them have done have done the best they can given the circumstances. You mentioned uh, Huber's, Elaine, and I know here locally we have Fowler's Pumpkin Patch. And Aaron, I was hoping you could talk about just some of these, you know, businesses like that that raise these seasonal products and then if the market just kind of falls out what kind of position are they in yeah i i mean i think that's the scary part right is they put in all of this planning and i mean we heard that about the spencer pride festival and then in monroe county fall festival i mean these these efforts by um businesses as well as you know for a, a standalone festival they they're year round um and so when you have something like that, like the pumpkin patches that we have going on right now, and, and if you can't go in through the corn maze, or maybe you can go through the corn maze, but there's a limited number, um, it just changes the math for those business owners. Um, I do think there's been some interesting things that have happened, though, around um, being outside and and taking opportunities. Uh, those businesses that have been able to position themselves or maybe had some, you know, the pumpkin patch and you know, something like that, or even a, a farmer's market uh, where you people have really been wanting to come out and appreciate the outdoors. And so maybe you're apple picking or you're, um, you know, going out to the farm and you're actually seeing where things are being grown. And so there's there've been some really interesting innovations around business models just based on that uh, with people with creative ideas on bringing people out to their space because people have really wanted to be outside. So embracing that and, and, and you know, 
trying to basically come up with new product lines uh, to, to offer to people in creative ways. So it, it is a, it is something that if people don't, don't take advantage of these pivots that the business, the business owners are trying to do, then, then that's when that risk really, really comes to play because they're not going to be able to uh, get the, the pro- profit that they need to, to be able to put it back into their business for this next year. I, I think this is a probably a natural follow-up to that. We did have a question that said about quality of life and uh, these little local festivals. Is the Hoosier and Midwestern culture in danger with many businesses shutting down and festivals being in danger? I'm throwing that out to the group. Anybody want to comment on that? Aaron, do you want to start? <laughs> no, Bob, I don't. That's a really hard question. Um, Sorry. No, it's okay. I'll, I'll sort of just think out loud about it then. I think that I'm going to say no, that it's not in danger uh, because of the resilience of our community that we've demonstrated through the pandemic. So while, yes, things might be different, um, the things that we love about who we are as a community and as a region, as a society, as Hoosiers, I, I don't see any of that going away at all. Um this time has really challenged all of us. And, you know, we are looking for opportunities to connect. I think that's just going to be stronger than ever when we are able to come out on the other side. And so you're going to see a rebound effect, I think, of people. Um, they won't have lost that, the, you know, those cultural identity necessarily part of it, but they'll they'll really be looking for opportunities to express that. And uh, whether it's wearing their, you know, the candy stripe pants and being able to go back to the, you know, another basketball game or, or be able to go to the festival and eat the food that they miss so much. I mean, all of those things that they are going to identify with are going to be even more in, in demand once things open back up. Thank you. That's a great answer. Anybody else want to answer that? Well, this is Elaine and, and okay. I will say, I agree hundred percent with what Aaron just said. I, I think we'll rebound back and, and, you know, I think it'll be even um, more, a higher desire, higher demand to do some of these things that we now have an appreciation for that maybe we just thought always happen. And so, oh, if I don't make it this year, I can go next year. Well, now we know that maybe it won't be there next year, but I think that uh, I agree with what she's saying that there's going to be um, a huge comeback. And I think for most part, I don't know of too many of the organizations who maybe can't come back, maybe not the same way, maybe in a more hybrid situation, but that that will try and do what they did this year. I, I don't, I'm hoping we won't lose some things. I think what we'll lose, and we've all experienced it in our communities already, are some of the restaurants and other, um, maybe even some of the, your retail stores that just couldn't make it through the, um, through the, the shutdown and, and the, the, the whole pandemic and aren't gonna be able to come out on the other side. Uh, but hopefully we'll have others that will step in and and see an opportunity to maybe establish a business after we're we're through all of this. But, um, uh, you know, I think as we think about restaurants as well, those that have been able to really capitalize on outdoor seating to kind of help themselves get through, winter's coming. And, you know, they may not have that opportunity to do as much of that. So again, they're going to have to be some creative thinking. it's, It's unfortunate if we can't get a vaccine quickly and get people immune to the, the, the COVID that um, these restaurants are going to find a very difficult time going through the winter um, with the limited capacity that we now see that they have available to them. This is Judy F. I feel um, the same way as um, uh, Eileen, or yeah, Eileen. What, uh, what our concern is, I think our festival will be back with the venue. This should have been and would have been our biggest festival ever. You all may know we had an issue with the commissioners, the county commissioners early in the year. We were not going to be able to have our festival on the courthouse lawn. We were going to be in the streets and we expected to be the biggest festival ever because of all the controversy um, around it. So we won't have that moving into next year, but I feel like a lot of festivals will be bigger and better than ever because people will be so starved for it. My concern is, is well, for one thing, the funding between now and then, our retail space provides 40% of our income. And when we have to shut down or have reduced hours, that affects our bottom line. Fortunately, there are generous uh, grant opportunities out there to help us over that hump. 
but in Spencer, there are a lot of small businesses. There's a, um, uh, two, there are two other small, the Dragonfly and Juniper Gallery, um, small art, uh, eclectic shops, and they have really struggled, um, as well as, uh, the restaurants, and it's not just can a restaurant stay open, but they, if they only do carry out, they need fewer employees. So then you have other people out of work and they can't spend money and you have that ripple effect all over. So that's, that's a concern that I think will be part of the issue with, with the whole COVID and the lack of festivals. Spencer had several, it wasn't just our festival, they have Christmas on the square and they have a Halloween um, activities and they have a Christian music festival and there are several festivals throughout the year that are not happening. So um, I think it's going to be a real drain on the economy of the town. Diana, what, what, can, uh, what can people do to help make sure that the Monroe County Fall Festival comes back bigger and better than ever? Uh, one would be uh, volunteers. Um, people like to draw a paycheck and I tell the, the people that come new to the meeting, the pay here is just the same whether the people like the festival or not. So we're just here to get your support and for you to um, help us to make the festival possible. I agree too that I think that uh, festivals will be bigger and better than ever next year with all the people being so anxious to get back into having the festivals. I've had a number of people mention, you know, they want to, uh, they can't wait for the festival for next year. And so I, I think it will um, be, you know, like I said, if I can get enough volunteers to make it easy um, it's a lot of work, and if you only have about 10 volunteers, um, it's quite a job to put on such a big festival for three days and a big parade. And um, But uh, also, um, hopefully, people will continue to uh, support our local sponsors. Like Judy said, some of them are really suffering from uh, not being able to be open or uh, very limited, and so the the sponsorships are down and so then the money for our entertainment is down so it's just one big vicious circle i'm afraid lane do you think there are some things that we've learned during covid that maybe will be incorporated once we're allowed to resume festivals thinking like some of the doing some things virtually or something like that Yes, I do. I mean, I, I think that we're learning from all of this and I think uh, we'll see more hybrid uh, festivals and galas and things like that, that that maybe we didn't see before. The technology has worked in most cases to bring people together, not in the way we'd like to be brought together, but to hear a speaker or to enjoy a movie or uh, whatever a discussion, you know, like this, whatever it might be. Um, I think there's going to be more opportunity for festivals as well as other organizations to provide their um, um, their their artwork, their their communications, their their discussions, whatever, to a larger audience uh, using the virtual side as well as the in-person side. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the creativeness will happen there. And uh, again, many organizations have said when they've done something totally virtual instead of having it in person, they actually had more people being able to attend. And you know, if you can work that right, you can raise more money maybe that way as well. So we're probably not, don't have it perfectly figured out yet, but I think it's a great start to what we might see happening in the future. Aaron, we have a question that came in for you. So it's kind of a quick question. It's not necessarily about festivals, but it is about IU students and how their spending habits have been this fall. I mean, are you seeing a big, a drop in money that's being spent by IU students? Well, I think the best statistic I have uh, to share with you is the recent food and beverage tax uh, numbers, which won't just be IU students, but it is a reflection of, I think, their return um, and also and, and also their behaviors. Um, but our food and beverage tax that we uh, 
received in, so the report for September um, was about $8,000 more than the support, the report for September last year. So year over year comparison, uh, which was wonderfully good news um, and, and was really a cheerful uh, thing that we were, <laughs> a bunch of us on, a, on an email and we all had to chime in with our excitement that that, that, that was going on. So I guess my response would just be that that we think the IU students are being here and they're certainly shopping and eating out. Um, and that's been a real boon to our local economy as we've, you know, continued to navigate the pandemic. Okay. And Judy, up, we have about a minute to go. I just want to give you the opportunity to let us know again about what events the Spencer Pride Festival has going on this week. Thank you. Well, anyone who visits our Facebook page or spencerpride.org can see the list of things going on. The Unity Shop is open from 10 to 7 every day. Tonight is our virtual dance party. Tomorrow is our fundraising event with the drag. It's called Documentary and Drag. There will be a drag show and then featured speakers and a documentary about the history of um, the AIDS quilt. Tickets can be purchased through the Tivoli Theater, uh, online, through the Tivoli Theater. And um, we have lots of raffles going on. You can buy tickets online or in person at the shop. And that information is also on our website for the online purchase. We have a 32 inch TV. We have a pride watch. We have a hair care gift basket. We have passes to Connor Prairie and a whole bunch of other stuff. Okay, that, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm gonna have to have to end the show now. I wanna thank uh, Judy Epp, Aaron Predmore, Diana Choate, and Elaine Bedell for being here with us today. And uh, for our producers, Benta Boutier and John Bailey, engineer, Matt Stonecipher, for co-host, Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Production support comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.